Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them up to John chapter 7. As we are continuing our series, uh, marching our way through the Gospel of John. Have you ever heard of the term uh, compassion fatigue? That's a term that I've been hearing a lot about. I've read a couple of articles about it, and um, it's really got my attention. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's uh, defined as a condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others. Typically, it's found... um, and resulting from people who are working with victims of disasters or trauma, um, physicians. And if you have never experienced compassion fatigue, all of us can acknowledge, maybe even this morning, that we feel maxed out at times, overextended, needing things, People needing things from us. Maybe some of us here this morning, day in and day out, you're caring for loved ones. Maybe some of you here this morning are perplexed and your heart is heavy for the people that are being affected by COVID on a regional or a global scale. Or maybe it's just simply being a mom who's at home with little children. And you just feel maxed out. Maybe it's being a grandparent and caring for the kids. Or caring for a spouse whose health is declining. Wherever we are this morning, all of us, I have a strong suspicion this morning, know what it feels like to be maxed out. And know, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the bandwidth to move toward that person. To make that phone call. To do that next thing. If that's where you are this morning. And I have suspicion it's all of us. But Jesus has some really good news for us this morning. So I'm going to look at John chapter 7. And I'm going to read. Have your Bibles open. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. And then I'm going to skip down to 37 through 39. This is God's word. Listen to what Jesus says. After this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths, it's also called the feast of tabernacles, was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in Jesus. Let that hit you. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, 
Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now skip down to verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the Feast of Booths, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, or he yelled, as another translation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Will you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning and we need you to open our hearts. We need you to send your Spirit that we might drink from you. For your glory for our good, and for the good of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I'm probably dating myself a little bit, but um, one of the bands that I followed for a while, ever since I was in elementary school, is a band called U2. I know many of you are familiar with them. The lead singer is a guy named Bono. And I've been following them since 1987, their Joshua Tree album. And let's just be honest, some of their albums are better than others, Right? Um, but I, what, uh, as I followed their career, there was one particular interview that got my attention after a number of, of albums that were, I would say, subpar, not as creative, not as strong as some of the other, their earlier stuff. Um, there, were, there was a new album that they were releasing called Songs of Innocence. And what made this album unique is rather than selling it, they decided to make their album completely free online, and you could just download it. And I was really blown away by their decision to do that. The album had been downloaded, get this, two billion times in just a couple of days. And, they and it was experienced by people, meaning they were streaming it or, or having it on their device, by 81 million people. And the article that I read was interesting. Um, the guy asked Bono, so what did you think about that? Wasn't that, didn't that make you feel good that 81 people, 81 million people wanted to listen to your music? I mean, you know, you, you've kind of had a little bit of a dry spell with some of your later albums. And I love Bono's response. He says kind of in his own way, hey, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. And I think he's on to something. Bono knows what it's like to be on top of his game, to be successful, to be considered a rock star, and then to kind of be a little bit of a wash up. He knows there's something true about what he's saying. All of us live as though we're only as good as our last gig because success is fleeting. No, no matter how we uh, define that, it's always elusive for us. Maybe for, for some of you here, you finally get to see your loved ones. Like that was really, really meaningful and successful for you, right? Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's travel, who knows? You got to see your loved ones. You know, for others of you, Maybe it's you, you made the deal. You made the financial deal, the business deal that you've been working on, and you just fist pump. Yes, 
You got the job you wanted. You got into the school that you wanted. You got the internship. You got the staff hire you wanted. You're you're making great connections with your spouse and you haven't had that connection in the last couple of years. Or you're really connecting with your kids and it's meaningful and you're like, yes, I'm there. I'm on top of my game. But then you're like, how long will this last? You know, will I keep this? Will I keep the job? Uh, What if I lose the relationship? And then we're thirsty again and again and again. Would you believe that Jesus stands up in the middle of the most joyful feast on the Jewish calendar? It's called the Feast of Booze. I'm going to explain it in a minute. The Feast of Tabernacles. It is more joyful, more exuberant. God commands his people to have a good time. At that place where everyone is having the time of their life on an annual basis, Jesus stands up and he has the audacity to yell, if you are still thirsty, come to me. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I think John wants us to see three things about who Jesus is and why he came. First, I want us to look and see at what Jesus shows. I want you to first look and see what Jesus shows. What, what does Jesus show us in this passage? He shows us our thirsts. If anyone thirsts, let him come. And this is not a brand new theme. If, if you've been around grace for a while and you've kind of been listening to our sermon series, you're like, this sounds really familiar, Justin. Isn't this kind of like many other chapters? Yes. John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding. Hey, we need more wine, Jesus. He provides. John chapter 4, a shame-filled woman who is avoiding people. Jesus tells her, hey, we all need water and the kind of water that I'm providing. Uh, Even last week, there's 5,000 starving men and God provides miraculously food for his people. As we're all facing down 2022, Jesus is asking all of us, will you let me revive you? Will you let me restore you? Will you let me renew you this year, this week? Will you let me refresh your soul from your exhaustion, from your fatigue, for feeling like you're so maxed out? How does Jesus show us these thirsts? Well, remember where Jesus is located. I've already told you it's called the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. What is Sukkot? This is a seven-day feast, and you can find references to this in Exodus chapter 23, 34, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 2. And every Jewish male was required to make a pilgrimage for seven days to Jerusalem every single year. And what would you do and what were they celebrating? They were remembering the time when they lived in little tents or booths in the desert. They were remembering a time when they didn't have any water sources because there's no water in the desert. They were remembering that they could not protect themselves. They could not provide the warmth and the heat that they needed. So God would provide that through his presence A pillar of fire by night and a pillar of a cloud by day. 
Every single year they were celebrating the kindness of God. They were engaging in practices that, that with their bodies and their minds and their spirits, they are reminded, when I was thirsty in the desert, God satisfied my thirsts. He was my well when all of the streams ran dry. Notice in verse 37, it's the last day of the feast. Now, I did a little bit of research on, on how they would celebrate these feasts. This was called the Great Supplication. And what they would do is for uh, six days, the priest would go down to this place called the Pool of Siloam with a gold pitcher. He would fill it up with water, and all of the people would be in a procession or a parade behind the priest. He would fill up the, the pitcher with water. Then they would all parade or process back to the temple up the stairs. And while they're, while they're climbing the, the stairs to the temple mount, probably singing the Psalms of Ascent. And then all of the people would go to the altar and they would watch the priest pour out the water on the altar. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And now day seven, there's a little wrinkle to it. This time the priest would have the pitcher and he would walk around the altar in a circle seven times. And then he would pour out the water. John wants us to understand it was at that momentous time, that sort of heightened time of the whole week, that is when Jesus steps forward. What was this, what was the point of pouring out water? Why would the priest do that? Why would God command his people to do that? It's a vivid picture that God poured out water on a parched people in the desert. And one day the Messiah will come and pour out his water again onto our lives for renewal, for refreshment. There's one rabbi, this is not in the Bible, but describing what this ceremony was like. He says, you've never seen joy in your life until you have witnessed the water ceremony. This was a big deal. Have you ever uh, watched a movie? Maybe it's a Marvel movie or maybe it's Gone with the Wind or maybe even read a book and you get to the last page of the story and you're like, I just don't want this thing to end. Have you ever read a book like that before? That's what this would have been like for God's people every single year. I just don't want this to end. And you know what it did every single year? You pack up your tent. You pack up your little thatched hut that you make for your family you're done looking at the hole in the roof and seeing in that October night sky the stars and thinking about your ancestors providing water from a rock in the desert. Well, now for next year again. It's at that moment that Jesus steps forward and speaks. At that moment, Jesus says, come and drink. If anyone is thirsty, drink from me. For six days, Jesus had watched them pour out this water on the altar, remembering, hoping. There's an explosion of emotion and passion that Jesus has for God and his people. I want so much more for you. I want to provide the substance of what this sign is pointing toward. The water your soul is craving 
is here in this temple right now. The presence of God that you are thirsty for is standing right before your eyes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as I've already said, all of us are carrying many things into this room this morning. When you walk out of this place this afternoon and you get, get back into your sort of daily rhythms starting tomorrow, I, want a question, I have a question for you. What are God's thoughts about you, brothers and sisters? As we go about our day looking for water, what does God think about you? You know he's thinking about you, right? He loves you. He spared no expense to bring you into his family. He's thinking about you. When he's thinking about you, what do you think about? He sees you just as he saw the crowds and he cries out even to us this morning, come and drink this morning. I know you're maxed out. I know you're exhausted. Come and drink. Imagine God watching you this week facing the uncertainty of your future. Will, will you be anxious? Will you be worried? Imagine God seeing you face the temptations that all of us will face this week. Imagine God watching you in one of your tornadoes of frustration or futility this week. Imagine God seeing you as we seek more and more water and then it dries up again. What if all of our water searches on a weekly basis don't really surprise him all that much? I sort of imagine in a passage like this, Jesus saying to me by his spirit, Hey, Justin, how about you let me have those thirsts today? Can you imagine God saying that to you this morning? All of your, he already knows about your thirsts and my thirsts. How about you let me handle it? How about you give those thirsts to me is what Jesus is saying. That's what this ritual is all about. That's what this sign is about. I am showing you your thirst because I love you. Bring them to me. If anyone is thirsty, it doesn't say the ones who have their lives straight. None of us do, by the way, friends. Starting with the guy up here behind the pulpit. It doesn't say those who are sold out for God enough. Those who are surrendered to God enough. Those who are disciplined enough. Those who are sorry enough. All you need to admit, friends. All I need to admit is that we have thirsts. That we're thirsty. What thirst is Jesus showing you this morning? Well, Jesus shows us our thirst, but there's more in John 7. He also sustains us. He shows us and he sustains us. The manner in which God quenched the thirst of his people in the, in the wilderness was nothing short of remarkable. Remember, nothing really lives in the desert. There's lots of dirt, there's lots of rocks, there's lots of heat, and certainly no water. Maybe one of my favorite passages or places in the scripture is Exodus chapter 17 that talks about a time when God's people were dying of thirst and there was no water to be found. Do you remember the story? It's, it's really, it's amazing. 
the God, God's people were throwing Moses under the bus. They were grumbling and complaining. Then God says to Moses, I will stand on the rock. And Moses, strike the rock. And then water will flow from the rock. And I will provide for my people. My people will drink and they will live. Okay, why does that matter, Justin? I don't, I don't get your connection here. Jesus is saying that he was that rock in the wilderness that was struck providing living water and streams of water for his people. Paul actually picks up on this theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where he says clearly, for those people in the wilderness drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. But we also know this very clearly from verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In John's gospel, this is Jesus' death on the cross is his hour or his moment of glory. That time where Jesus would take on all of our thirsts, our death, by allowing himself to be struck with God's judgment on the cross, the judgment that should have struck us, the penalty of sin is death, and we should pay it. But Jesus willingly allows himself to be struck on Calvary, receiving in full our payment for sin. And we also receive his righteous life. So I want to go back to that question. When God is seeing you and watching you, what do you think he's thinking about? Oh, man, I just wish he would do more. I just wish she would do more. I wish that she would be a better grandma. I wish she would be a greater, greater kid. No. When our Father looks at us, he looks at us through the work of Jesus Christ. And that will draw our hearts to move toward our Lord and Savior with honesty and openness and to be able to give all of our thirsts to him. This Holy Spirit that is talked about here in John chapter 7 will one day at Pentecost be sent on God's people. And now as beneficiaries, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit himself. Filled with his work. But how do you cultivate a relationship with this God? It's one thing to allow him to sustain us. It's one thing to say, I agree with the work of Jesus. I agree with the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. But how do we cultivate and deepen that relationship? It's interesting that God's people were engaging in practices. The practices of going down to the pool of Siloam, following the priest, singing the Psalms of Ascent on a weekly basis or a daily basis. We too, as God's people, who are beneficiaries of God's grace in Jesus Christ, we have opportunities to engage in practices that allow us to connect and deepen our bond with God himself. When I was in high school, um, I was on the basketball team. And our coach was, was always filling our practices, not with scrimmages, which is what I always enjoyed. Instead, he would make us do these crazy dribbling drills. He'd make us do these crazy uh, rebounding drills and these, these, these crazy layup drills. These are all practices. Practices that as players we would engage in that would shape us and form us into being 
players that played as a team. God has given us practices of scripture and prayer and fellowship with one another that allow us to be sustained and grow as we deepen our connection with God and his people. This is why we have small groups. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to really lay our our souls bare before one another and to grow, to be energized by Christ's presence. This is why we gather together for corporate worship and we um, hear the word of God communicated to us. And in a few moments, we're gonna uh, take the Lord's Supper because these are practices that we engage in that the Holy Spirit shapes us and conforms us more into the image of Christ. Perhaps one of the the takeaways or sort of the action steps from a sermon like today could be for 15 minutes this afternoon, after you've had plenty to eat and you've relaxed and you have a little bit of time and a little bit of space, what if we all took 15 minutes alone? Maybe went outside for a walk, maybe grabbed a favorite chair and just sat in silence before the Lord. I know for some of you that have small kids, this is going to be a tall order. Maybe take a little bit of logistical planning. But 15 minutes today just to sit in God's presence, to meditate, to think, to pray. That could be a a simple baby step for us to engage in. So we see clearly in John chapter 7, there's the identification. He shows us our thirsts and he also sustains us. But it doesn't stop there. What makes this passage unique is that there's also ascending. There's a showing, a sustaining, and ascending. Look at verse 38. Now this he said about the Spirit. Excuse me, let me skip up. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think that word uh, rivers in the plural stands out. It's very significant. The rivers of living water will will flow out of our hearts. That if you come to me and drink and bring your thirst and let me sustain you and and stop managing your life and controlling and and, 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 spinning out of control, but instead let me sustain you, let me carry you, you will actually become a well. You will become living water. You will be a river for others to drink from. When you drink from me, living water will flow to you and through you. Let's return to our topic again of feeling maxed out. Our answer is not a little bit more time or a little bit more bandwidth. It's actually bringing that depletion, bringing that deprivation, bringing that dryness into God's presence. That's actually really, really good news. Our meditation is from uh, Ezekiel 47. If you notice that at, the, at the, the front of the bulletin. This is a prophecy that's talking about God's healing that is spreading over the entire earth. First, the water flows from the temple. And it's a small trickle. And then it's ankle deep. And then it's waist deep. And God's healing presence flows out of the temple all over the earth. That theme is actually picked up in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible that's describing what eternity is all about. Now, you might be saying to yourself, but what difference can one person make? I mean, Justin, I'm a, 
you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom, or, or you know what, I work uh, in business behind a, a computer all day long, uh, you know, in one of our guest rooms, or, you know, my family, my friends are really far from me. What difference does it really make? Well, let me tell you this. We moved, uh, in, we moved from San Antonio to Athens, and we had a great house, but we got stuck with a really high water bill at the end of our time there. And we were like, what in the world is happening? And why is our grass so green? How come all of the other street, the houses on our street, their grass looks really, really bad? We found the smallest little pinprick in our crawl space on one of our pipes. And for years, there'd been a little trickle, a little drip. And we had no idea because our crawl space, to be able to get access to it, you have to go into a half bath in the middle of the house, pull up the, uh, one of the shelves in the linen closet, and go down the hatch. It's not a side entrance. So I'm not going in the crawl space. But year after year after year, that little tiny leak made a huge impact. Tons of water. And I think that's important for us to think about here as a church you might walk out of this sermon and be like, Justin, I don't know where to begin. I understand the ideas that you're saying, but what does that look like? Start small, my friends. Start with the next thing. Start with one conversation. One person praying for our neighbors. One person intentionally driving through the Habitat for Humanity community that is right behind us and intentionally praying while you're driving. One family doing that. Who knows what God will do? Little things, little tiny beginnings. What about as a church? Not just individual relationships as we leave. What about us collectively as a church? Are we rivers of living water to Lexington, to Rockbridge County? What is our vision for reaching believers and unbelievers? Are we getting filled up as a church? What is our vision for getting filled up, for depth, for stability, for being that Psalm 1 Christian? Blessed is the man who's like a stream planted, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. If we closed our doors tomorrow, would this community know that we were gone? Would they miss us? Would our neighbors remember us? What might it look like us collectively as a church for us to be rivers of living water in this community starting small? Well, where has God already put you? Some of you are high school students. Some of you work with high school students. Start there. Some of you are in college or you work with college students. Some of you enjoy golf. Start there. I loved hearing the story from Paul Carter about him playing golf all the time and leading people to Jesus on the golf course. I don't play golf. Paul Carter plays golf and the Lord uses it. What are the things that you enjoy doing that, that God could use? What are those little, tiny, small baby steps? What has God given you? Not only the, the opportunities, but what has God given you? Do you have a den? Do you have a living room? Invite people into your space. Invite them into the chaos of your kids running around and a stack of clothes that need to be folded. You know, invite them into having a, a cup of lemonade. It doesn't have to be fancy or elaborate. Invite people into your home. Could a block party be in the plans for you guys in 2022? 
where you were intentionally inviting the five houses next to you to come into your home just because you love them and you want the streams of living water to flow from you into their lives. It might look like praying for our community a lot. Now, we are already doing that. That's one of the great things about this church. This is a praying church. Let's double down in 2022. Let's really ask the Lord to continue to do this. It might look like listening to the hurts of loved ones or neighbors around us. It might look like entering into the people's suffering that you know that they're going through over a cup of coffee or a walk downtown. The main way that we are living water to people around us as our community is watching us is they're coming to conclusions about who Jesus is based upon our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. What conclusions are they coming to? Friends, let's not live as dams for this parched community. Let's remove the dam and let the rivers of God's grace flow to us and through us. Will you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you are living water, that we have nothing to offer people that we have not received from you first and foremost. We have no power to raise the dead or to um, save souls. We have no power to even grow spiritually. That's actually the job of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, you have allowed us to set aside practices to shape us and form us into people of love and holiness and substance. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to take small steps in prayer, to take small steps in scripture, to take small steps in moving toward the people that we rub shoulders with. All for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.